Chapter 1 Scene 1 The Beginning The year, early spring 2050, setting is outside the beautiful mountainous background near the Nevada-Arizona border. The great Hoover Dam looms in the basin of the skyline as a magnificent achievement of men. What a spectacular, engineering, ingenious piece of work for mankind that creation became. Very appropriately named after the president who spearheaded its inception and engineering development, who himself was an engineer. The dam is the defining landmark near the underground research center for Project Lazarus. Deep below the surface within TNRC, Professor Reese Allen is sure his cloning formula is ready. So is Dr. Julie Fullerton. Dr. Eugene Tony is more cautious and is not willing to launch the human DNA capsule because that would begin the process of the world's first completely liquefying, accelerating, xenoplasmic, electron, restructuring, uranius, and humanistic system. All of the planning, the long years of mapping out the human genetic CAN codes, the countless hours and years of testing of lab rats and animals, plants, chemicals, liquids, and elements with many regrets, failures, and successes have led up to this point. Project Lazarus is ready with the perfect formula of DNA, chemical compounds, xenoplasma, uranium, and other calculated factors, the world's revolutionary being will come forth. So, as Professor Allen and Dr. Fullerton notify the Project Commander Gene Williams of the readiness stage of the, the project, and invite him to the research center testing wing, the only hesitation is to press the button. Professor Allen's focus is at the button to begin the structuring process, which can take less than 15 minutes to produce the ultimate living, human chemically, electronic, plasmic, liquefying being. As the phone rings, the commander is not available at that moment. So, Professor Allen and Dr. Fullerton begin to celebrate and dance around the chamber room. Then they decide to toast each other to the event's timing with a small bottle of wine. Once a bit tipsy, Dr. Fullerton playfully fakes a threatening pressing of the button. They laugh and she whispers to the professor, Who would know? We could surprise the commander later with a grand entrance, she blurbs. The professor laughs, stumbles, and bumps her arm slightly. The shaking little index finger was still twisted, pointed at the button. Oops! She mistakenly presses it. The process has begun. Their eyes bulge, and they seem to instantly sober up as they realize what has happened and what is minutes away. Within about 12 minutes, as they watch, amazed with astonished looks on their faces, they see the lump and tiny mass appear from seemingly nowhere on the platform of the central lab chamber and slowly, yet quickly grow to skin-like features and take on the shape of a perfectly grown man. They believe in the success of the project even now, more completely, Lazarus comes forth. His eyes are as as blue as the waters of the Mexico seacoast. His hair is not quite recognizable, but looks like bristled, stiff, straight, small-needled, hairbrush features, yet smooth and flowing towards the front of his head. His skin is not black, 
nor white, nor brown, but has a cool bluish, greenish, rusty orange tint, a kind of bluish bronze color. As Lazarus completes his development cycle and begins to stand, as the machine's platform slowly spins and tilts downward to an almost standing position, he looks around the chamber, then outward through the secured plastic glass of the reinforced lab unit. Lazarus smiles as he immediately recognizes his father of creation, the professor, whose DNA was secretly used despite the strict orders of the commander not to use personnel DNA of known personnel. Lazarus considers much love and compassion for the professor and feels such a totally trustworthy love for Reese. As the cycle ends, the clamp-down cups around Lazarus' wrists and ankles snap open to release him from the platform. He steps forward and slowly walks towards the plastic glass enclosure's outer edge towards the two co-creators, and they continue to watch with amazement. They are more pleased, amazed, and yet fearful than they had anticipated. They are so very fascinated and curious, yet restrictively afraid at so many unknowns and mysteries surrounding Lazarus' powers, talents, and above-average brainwave functions. At this very early point, Lazarus himself does not even know or realize just how truly special and advanced he really is. So, briefly, the professor turns to the doctor and they look towards each other and speak quietly to each other a bit argumentatively about the oops and about starting the process before the commander could be notified. Then, while they were turned away ever so briefly, Lazarus is gone. The chamber looks empty. They get panicked. Looking back at the containment chamber, they begin to scurry around the sides of the unit's outer perimeter. They panic and press the button for security, which sounds the alarms. Not knowing that he is in there, but has taken on the shape of a very beautiful banana tree plant in the corner of the unit, they rush and open the door to the chamber's triple outer protective edge to look inside at what they see as an empty unit lab. So they both say, where could he go? The lab is completely sealed and secured. How could he escape it? What happened? Where did he go? Our heads were only turned away for a few seconds. When they were about halfway inside the apparently empty chamber's second containment unit, the banana tree caught Dr. Fullerton's attention, and she watched as Lazarus reconstructed right before their eyes. They stood there, utterly shocked and excitedly amazed, as he changed back to himself and smiled lovingly at them. The professor, although kind of afraid, laughed and said, <laughs> Lazarus, did you realize what you were doing? What object you had become? And did you purposely do that to trick or lure us into coming in here? Lazarus smiled and did not speak, but gestured with his arms outstretched for a hug. He wanted an embrace from the man he considered father. Yes, the professor was very afraid to even hug Lazarus, although it was DNA from himself which was used to breed the creature now known as Lazarus. Basically, 
The professor was very, very glad for the triple-layered lap protections between them. Lazarus really was his son, or himself, cloned. Lazarus could sense the professor's fear, hear his personified heartbeat, and his very quick pulse rate with a superior hearing. Dr. Fullerton stood there, quiet as a mouse, with an unspoken but thrilled look on her face. She could not believe her own eyesight and the actual restructuring of Lazarus right in front of them. Then, Lazarus walked towards the professor, who was now frozen, still somewhat fearful as Lazarus slowly approached him with arms outstretched. Right at that point of entering into the inner lab chamber, the outer chambers relocked behind them as they entered each layer, and when Lazarus touched him, Professor thought, Wow! The silky smooth, sort of liquid, sort of plastic, but not quite like regular skin, and were without any hairy texture. So, Lazarus hugged the professor, who very hesitantly begun to put his arms around him to return the hug and embrace his genetically created son. The warmth and love they both felt was that of a father and son. But when the professor's hand touched the back of Lazarus' neck, skin on skin, the emotional love, fear, and excitement of the professor were also felt and sensed by Lazarus. And that caused an emotional reaction, which did not happen as long as only the professor's clothing was in contact with Lazarus' skin. The professor began to shrivel up and shrink or slouch and wrinkle very fast, as though he were aging by months and years at a time. So Lazarus jerked himself away as he could feel the surge of his strength sapping away the life moisture from the professor. Within seconds, the professor had appeared to age by five, then ten, then twelve years before Lazarus jerked away from him. But after his release, the professor's countenance and features refreshed and returned, and he stood up from the slouching, weakened position. Yet, graying streaks had appeared more pronounced with his hair and more accented wrinkles had peeked out from the skin lines of his body. He had fallen to his knees and could barely stand for a few minutes. After three to five minutes, he was okay and his strength returned. With weakness, he pulled himself upright. None of the three of them realized just how truly complex and powerful Lazarus could or would eventually become as he grew and developed and discovered how to control and utilize his powers. Lazarus would learn how to be touched without draining the life force from people who touched him unless he desired to cause that to happen. When he is able to gather himself, the professor tells Lazarus to please be patient and return to the lab platform table. We'll need to keep you in this containment unit and conduct many tests beginning tomorrow. We need to learn more about what you can harm and do or cause with your untapped powers and abilities. So Lazarus cooperated and returned to the lab platform table. He voluntarily lay down on it, and the professor was very careful not to touch his bare skin, but with protective specialized integrity gloves and did not use the strap-down couplers. Good choice. They would have only caused doubt and mistrust by Lazarus, and besides, they couldn't hold him anyways. The professor, the doctor, the commander, and the intelligence unit of the research lab were all well aware of some of the potentially awesome powers of Lazarus. That's why he was created. 
but none of them were truly prepared to deal with the consequences of those capabilities of the being called Lazarus. Lazarus did not sleep, but he could put himself into a status mode, or state, which allowed his bodily functions to operate on a sort of autopilot or standby. While in such a state, he could absorb tremendous amounts of data, knowledge, and or materials of memory, photographic, encrypted, and written content. These were fed through the usage of the Containment Labs Unit's computer database, Sleep Wealth of Knowledge Unit, attached to his lab table. It was fitted to the lab platform table through the pillowed headrest unit, which functioned automatically whenever Lazarus' head was in position on the pillow. Truly, anyone's head laying on the pillowed platform could possibly gain a thing or two, but the system was specifically designed for Lazarus. His special DNA, stiff brush bristled hair, acted as a conduit for his superior brainwave functions. Not much telling what it would do to a normal person's mental capacity. Also, that entire lab bed had thousands and thousands of tiny injection tubes, ports, which supplied Lazarus with every essential necessary nutrient for his bodily maintenance and functions, even that his system of molecules stored some for any time it could, would be needed. The pillow utilizes brainwave impulses and electrical body impulses to transmit the data and materials. All human beings give off or emit certain specific unique amounts of electrical impulses. Each individual has his or her own unique wavelength and pattern. Lazarus, electrical wave pulse, was not like any other human or living creatures. It was a genetically electrically charged wave, altered to appear in the form of a lightning bolt on the electroscope monitors. So, as the containment unit stores close, and the professor is able to pull the doctor, who seems to be still in total shock, way through the doors, Lazarus rests if you can really call it that. The lab unit's lighting dims, and the two science experts leave the room outside the containment unit to tell the security dispatch detail guards to keep a close watch on the containment unit and its unique inhabitant. Please notify me immediately if there's any, and I mean any, change in status or any emergency at all, the professor tells the guards. Then the professor and the doctor head off to their respective on-site sleeping quarters. This was much too important, not a time to leave the facility, and they need an early start in the morning with the testing procedures. The doctor still didn't look so good. The professor kissed her quietly on the jaw and guided her through the entrance to her quarters. He left quietly, after helping undress her and tucking her into bed. Wasn't like he had never seen her naked before anyway. They had been off and on lovers for years. Work kept them further apart, yet also closer together than palatable. Sometimes they couldn't stand each other, and many times they had to have each other. So entering his nightly quarters, the professor settled down for the short night's rest. He needed as much rest as he could get. The days ahead would be completely long and very much exhausting, as well as totally mysteriously fascinating.